We're going to be in Exodus chapter 19 today, and we're going to um, we're going to read the last part of Exodus 19, and then we're going to bypass the Ten Commandments. We're going to double back to that um, later, but um, we're going to actually jump to a, a later portion there, a few verses in Exodus 20, uh, and kind of look at them together in the context here, and um, and. We're going to look at uh, the fear of the Lord, and I think something that, uh, that we have a sense of, and yet so often we, we so misunderstand, and um, so we're going we're gonna to look at that today, and uh, my hope is that, that together we really grow in our um, understanding of who God really is, and what our appropriate response to him is um, how how we should approach him um, and um, so let's let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll look at Exodus 19 fathers we come before you today around your word trusting your spirit to lead us into all truth we ask Lord that you would reveal yourself to us today um, Lord to help us really get a fuller understanding of who you are, that we might know you for who you are. And uh, Lord, that, that this encounter with you through your word, Lord, would invite us into deeper fellowship with you. Uh, Lord, into a, a, a deeper trust in you. And also, Lord, to right any of our... Um, false understandings about you. So Lord, we, we just ask you once again to lead us into all truth and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first part of Exodus chapter 19 that we looked at, verses 1 uh, through 8 there, God called Israel into a covenant relationship with him. And it was built on the basis of his powerful and miraculous saving work in the lives of the Israelites to rescue them out of slavery in Egypt. And, um, and he, he told them that if they would walk in obedience before him to trust him, then he would make them his treasured possession that he would actually make them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That is, that they would be like his ambassadors, as a priest was a mediator between God and man, that they would be sort of the mediator between God and the rest of the world to impart the truth of God to an unbelieving world. And then moving on there, in the next several verses that we, we looked at, God commanded his people, he was, he was preparing to meet with them, and he commanded his people to consecrate themselves in preparation for this meeting with God. And so they were to dedicate themselves to him, both physically and spiritually, over, over the process of a few days, in preparation for when God would arrive and meet with them. So that's where we're at now, on the third day, when God makes his presence known. 
The first thing I want to do before we actually begin reading our passage is to look at a few things, just kind of a smattering of, of verses, because the fear of the Lord is, is a, a, uh, a theme, um, an understanding that runs all through Scripture. In fact, we see it uh, at the very beginning in Genesis um, that the created things obey the voice of the one who created them. That by a word he speaks into existence, light, darkness, the earth, the waters, everything. There, there is a, a uh, even with an inanimate objects, there is a sort of fear of the Lord in that they obey His command. When He speaks, everything obeys. But then we see even more than that, as Adam and Eve rebel against God, their, their innate response is to run and hide. Why? Because they understand that God is holy and righteous and that His ways are holy and righteous, that His standard is holy and righteous, and that they have violated it. And now they understand they are naked and bare, exposed and guilty before the judge of all mankind. Which, I guess at that point, there weren't a whole lot of mankind there. But they understood it well, and they ran to hide from God. The fear of the Lord. And we're going to look at that today because the fear of the Lord is is contained certainly a very strong theme throughout this passage. And in between, sandwiched in between the two passages that we're going to look at are the Ten Commandments. The the Ten Commandments are, are really of no use to the Israelites if they have no fear of the Lord. Um, so let's look at just a few verses, and these are, it will seem like a lot, but these really are indeed a few verses from Scripture that actually talk about the fear of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverbs, it's a whole, whole slew of verses in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil are perverted speech. And perverted speech I hate. Proverbs uh, 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14.26 and 27, in the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 15.16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Proverbs 15.33 The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 16.6 By steadfast love and faithfulness iniquity is atoned for and by the fear of the Lord one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19.23 The fear of the Lord leads to life 
and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And Proverbs, uh, yeah, I think that's it. So that's just a, a sampling from Scripture of uh, some of what God's Word has to say about fear of the Lord. Today we're going to look in Exodus chapter 19, and as we move on there into um, uh, those later verses in 20, we see that the fear of the Lord is impressed upon the Israelites by the Lord Himself so that they would be deterred from walking in ways contrary to the covenant that He has brought them into. In other words, that they would be, because of their fear of the Lord, having a right fear of the Lord, they would be deterred from sin. So let's look at Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. The Lord, as He approaches, makes His presence known through the lightning and the thunder. He also makes His presence known by the thick cloud on the mountain. That is a, a, a physical um, indicator of His approaching. Now that the thick cloud is often uh, in Scripture associated with His presence or, or smoke, as it were. Um, and one of the things that we know is that God makes clear that no, no person can look upon His glory without a mediator. That is, that we, we in our sinful state, in our human condition, cannot handle beholding God for who He is. The only way we can, we can uh, see God, and that is, um, there, there are a couple ways in which Scripture talks about seeing God, um, one would be certainly a face-to-face, and the other one would be the way in which we see God spiritually through Christ. That we are able to, to understand and receive and see His glory, not maybe with our eyes, but certainly with our soul, with our heart, with our spirit. But Scripture makes clear that mankind, if we are confronted with the full glory of God, that we will just be utterly destroyed by it. And so God's presence, so often in Scripture, is accompanied with a cloud or smoke, which is a type of veil that, that is a, a kind of protection, if you will, for, um, f- between God and man. That in the midst of God's presence... God spares those He, he uh, um, is present with from His full glory because they cannot handle it. In fact, even when we go through Scripture and we see just encounters not with God, but just with angelic beings, how do people respond to just God's representatives? By falling down in fear. So if that's how um, folks respond to just 
those who come representing God imagine the response. We get a slight glimpse of it in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah is confronted with God's presence. And he just, he says, I'm just going to come utterly undone in the presence of God. And so God visits them in the thunder and the lightnings and, and the cloud. And then as if to make sure that no one can explain this away, as in, well, you know, we get storms here from time to time. There is a very loud trumpet blast, which in the original language means a very loud trumpet blast. Well, I don't know if that's the literal interpret, uh, 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 translation, but that is what it means. It means there, it is a trumpet blast. There's no distinguishing this as maybe, uh, maybe it was the wind. right? It was a trumpet blast to announce God's presence. And how do the people respond? By just hearing that God is approaching and seeing the cloud and the lightning? They tremble. They tremble in fear. Let's keep going there. Verse 17. I want you to also take in as we go through this, um, because the, even as we read this, of course we are not experiencing it as they did, but what I want you to try to do is to try to put yourself in the position of one of these Israelites who is taking all this in. Um, because the Holy Spirit here has directed Moses to record this in such a way that, that the whole scene is so utterly dramatic that, that were we to be in this, in this experience, we would be so overwhelmed by what is going on that it would be unmistakable that God is present. It would also be unmistakable that we are utterly undeserving of that presence and there would be a fear inside of us because we would be understanding, like Adam and Eve were, of the guilt that we have before a holy and righteous God that would make us want to pull away from Him and hide. We're actually going to see that with the Israelites as we go on in our passage here today, but I want you to really try to understand what's going on here, not as black and white on a page, but as a real experience of real people being confronted with the real holy God. Verse 17, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, um, God has uh, already given some instructions as to how they are to approach um, Him. The nutshell is they're to do it on His terms, not theirs. That they're not to casually approach God, but that they are to uh, do it according to what He instructs. And He has set up a perimeter and said, you're not gonna, uh, you shall not cross this perimeter, this boundary. Now, we're going to see here that the people are not very inclined to cross that boundary as God makes His presence known. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the, trump, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, 
and God answered him in thunder. So God's presence is, is so overwhelming here. Uh, the, the trumpet blasts are growing louder and louder. The mountain is shaking. The, the ground is literally moving. The smoke in the air, the, it's, it's like sensory overload at the presence of God. And when Moses is speaking with the Lord, the Lord responds to him in thunder. Verse 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to them, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Now here, if you remember back in verse 9, God says that throughout this experience, as he meets with his people, one of the things he's going to drive home to the Israelites is that God has chosen Moses to be his mediator so that when Moses speaks, it is God who speaks. That is, that that God will speak to Moses and Moses will speak to the people. And Moses has had some issues with the people trusting him and uh, believing that he's really speaking on behalf of God and responding to that in a right way. And so God is going to impress on the people here. He made it clear in verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. So that God firmly establishes among the Israelites that Moses is is, is my guy And you are to listen to every word he says as if I'm speaking to you. And so what happens here is God says not even the priests are allowed to approach here on the mountain, but only Moses and Aaron. A distinguishing even between Moses and Aaron and the rest of the priests. And so God has Moses and Aaron meet with him on this mountain. So let's flip over then to... um, Verse, chapter 20, verse 18. So in between here, God, God lays out um, what we call the Ten Commandments. And then, so we're jumping in at the back end of that. Verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. In other words, Moses brought them near to the mountain and as this whole event unfolded and God's presence was just so magnificently expressed through the thunder and the lightning and the trumpet blast and the shaking of the mountain and the cloud and the fire, the people began shrinking further and further back away from this to make a distance between them and the Holy of Holies, the Creator of the universe, who has called them into covenant relationship with Him and said, walk in obedience with Me, before Me. 
verse 19. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. They got the point that the Lord said he was going to drive home to them. And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. It seems that they have a very similar response to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. That upon an encounter with God, in which here they do, they're not beholding His full glory by any stretch of the imagination. Just really what they have seen is the announcement of His presence. An indicator of His presence. And they are saying, don't let God speak to us anymore. We can't handle it. We're going to be destroyed by it if God continues to speak to us. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So as God speaks to Moses, this whole event unfolds and they're, they're just so overwhelmed by this and they, just, they, they feel as if they're just going to die from, from the mere knowledge that God is present. They plead with Moses, you speak, we'll listen, but please don't, please don't let God speak to us anymore. And Moses brings them this message, do not fear for God has come to test you. Now what Moses, there's, he uses this, uh, it's, it's essentially the same word um, that he uses here, although in, in the original language it's, it's um, I know this is not the right term, but it's nuanced differently. Um, when he says do not fear, what, what he's saying here is like the type of fear that, that just makes us uh, utterly run away from, terrified as if God's intent is to just utterly wipe them out. Now God has that capability, and that's the other way in which fear comes into play here. That they do what God is testing them, what God is bringing them to an understanding of, is His greatness, His glory, His majesty, His power, His presence, His judgment, um, they've already experienced God's judgment on Egypt. And, and it, it, it was horrific. What happened when God brought His judgment against Egypt in which He saved the Israelites was horrific from an Egyptian perspective. They've seen that. They've seen God's wrath against the unjust. Against the evil. And what God is bringing to bear here is those who walk against me and reject me and walk in sin are going to be the bearers of my wrath like the wrath you saw in Egypt. So that they would not be running terrified from Him but have an understanding that the God we're in covenant relationship who has pronounced His and promised His faithfulness to us we are held accountable to Him and that's nothing to sneeze at. 
so that, it says, you may not sin. This is, I'm afraid, one area where our, the, current, um, the current situation of our country is utterly lacking, and that is the fear of the Lord. As we went through all the scriptures, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of understanding. The fear of the Lord even provides a, a place of refuge for children in their home, in the home of parents who fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, it, it, it spawns knowledge and understanding and wisdom and life. It leads to life. It steers away from, from sins that utterly destroy lives and relationships and families and communities and leads to the restoration of those, the building of those. The evidence of it is um, the lack of appreciation and, and um, reverence for authority. I mean, that's nothing new in the history of the world, but the degree to which we're seeing it displayed for us now is just further evidence that there is an utter lack of the fear of the Lord. An, a right understanding that one day we will be held accountable to the holy God who created everything we see, touch, and smell, and hear. And we're going to be held accountable for everything we do before God and, our, and, and to our fellow man. As a as a um, as a young guy, um, it was kind of impressed upon me in my home through um, certain types of discipline. A a healthy fear of my authorities. Um, that discipline was often painful, sometimes physically painful, sometimes emotionally painful. Um, sometimes humiliating as I was confronted with the reality of my wrongdoing by someone who held me accountable for it. Mostly it was my parents. And they weren't, they weren't mean or, or hurtful in that sense. They just took their job seriously that one of their roles was to help me understand right from wrong and also understand that I'm held accountable for everything I do. I can't blame anything on anybody. I make my choices, and then I'm going to have to bear out the consequences of that. And um, one, of the first, one of the first things that stirred me, um, my sense of need for the Lord Jesus Christ, was something similar to what I think the Israelites are experiencing here something similar to what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden when they rebelled against God. And it was, I was terrified of God's judgment. That was, that was the first, um, that, that was really the, the moment that, that sort of uh, tipped me off my spot of just knowing the truth, but it began to sink into me that there is a day coming and it might be today, and it might be 60 years from now, but at some point, God is going to judge me 
for my sinfulness before Him. And I am going to utterly fail no matter how much good I try to devote myself to the rest of my life. That at that point, were, were my sinfulness to even stop at that moment that I realized it, I still was so utterly guilty before a holy and righteous God that there was no, there was no place for me except His wrath and judgment in hell. And that so terrified me that I began to really search very diligently for how do I escape this? And the people around me, thankfully, knew the answer to that. And that was that the Lord has provided a way of escape for me. That I sinned against Him of my own volition. I rebelled against Him and chose His wrath of my own volition. But He brought His judgment to bear on His own Son so that I would have a way of escape not of my own volition anymore, but of something He provided for me. That as Jesus Christ went to the cross, He paid for my sins, your sins, the sins of all humanity, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ Jesus for the sins of all of humanity so that everybody who turns to Christ to receive Him by faith will receive God's forgiveness not because we deserve it or have earned it, but because His Son poured out His blood on the cross and became our sacrifice for sin. And so that was... Essentially, how I came to Christ. Having a right fear of God leads us to repentance. It leads us to a Savior, Jesus Christ. But it also helps us in our day-to-day decisions to choose wisely what we will do. Knowing that things like um, if... uh, I don't know if I just, I mean, if I just feel like slugging somebody just because I'm angry, I'm not only going to be held accountable by the law, I'm also going to be held accountable by God. That if I just allow my sinful desires to be unrestrained because I just want to do it, there is a time coming where I will give an account for that. And so understanding the fear of the Lord. It makes me choose differently. It makes you choose differently. Why do you consider that honesty is utterly very important? Because you understand that lying not only has bad consequences in this world, but also that our, our Creator hates it. Why, why is uh, cheating on your spouse um, adultery, why, why is that bad? Not only because it has real world consequences here and now which are bad enough, but also because we're going to be held accountable for that, before, for violating that covenant that we made before God and others. We're going to be held accountable to Him. So we choose differently when we begin to understand the fear of the Lord. But there's another component to the fear of the Lord that I think is really important and I think we begin to understand more and more especially 
as we come to know Christ and walk with him and experience the love and grace and forgiveness of God. And that is, I, I think of my, as in, it's an imperfect example, but I think it makes a good, it gives the illustration, and that is with my own father. I had a fear of being held accountable for wrongdoing. Um, that's, that's very true. The, the, the idea of receiving consequences for my wrongdoing did deter a lot of my bad choices. Not all of them, but a fair number of them. But there was also another component to the fear I had for my father. It was not a fear in which I just avoided him and hid from him. It was a fear where I understood I'm held accountable to him, but it also was a fear that there were few people in my world that I wanted to please more than him. So out of the small number of people in my life that I wanted them to be proud of me and respect me, he was one of them. And I think that is also part of our relationship with the fear of the Lord, that there is the one component that we are terrified of His judgment. But there is also the other component that as we learn His faithfulness and His goodness and His love for us and what He has done to bring us forgiveness and new life in Christ, that we, that we more and more begin to operate not out of I'm terrified of God's judgment so I'm going to stop doing bad things, to I want my Father in heaven to be pleased with me, to be proud of me. This fear is a a reverence, a respect. Certainly it contains the component of being terrified, but it is not only that. It is understanding God for who He really is. You know, when I, um, when I was a, a, a kid and, and had coaches on various teams, there was a firm understanding to me that me and the coach were not buddies. Right? I don't get to just walk up to the coach and pal around with him like he's one of my chums. That is not the relationship we have. There was a clearly defined relationship where he was coach, he was accountability, he was instruction, he was correction, uh, even praise and reward, but he was not pal. And there's a way in which our relationship with God, even though we get to experience the love and the closeness and the intimacy of, of our Father in heaven, he is not just our buddy that we can casually approach. Now, Scripture says we can confidently approach Him without fear if we are doing so in Christ because we are acceptable to Him in Christ. But He is not like us that we can just go, what's up, God? He is the Holy Creator of the universe and our Judge who laid down His Son for us. We see the effects of, uh, of understanding of the fear of the Lord, and then we'll just, I won't read these, but just to, to go through them real quick. Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 17, when, it, when the announcement is given that all the Hebrew boys are to be killed upon birth, what do the Hebrew midwives do? It says that they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, and so they didn't follow through with killing the infants as they were ordered. 
because they feared God. Interesting, in Exodus chapter 9, as God is bringing His judgment to bear against, against the Egyptians, there were some Egyptians that actually took the warning uh, as the hail was, hailstorm had been promised to come. There were, it says there were some Egyptians who feared God, and so they brought their servants inside because they began to understand that what God said is going to happen here through Moses, it's going to happen. And they began to fear his judgment. Unfortunately, their leader, Pharaoh, same in Exodus chapter 9, it's said of him, uh, in fact, he pleads with Moses, make it stop, make it stop. You know, we've sinned against God, make it stop. And so Moses says, all right, I will plead with the Lord to make it stop, but I, st- but I do understand you still don't fear the Lord. And the evidence of that was as soon as it stopped, Pharaoh went right back to it defying the Lord's command to release the Israelites. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 and 31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We all need to really understand that. It is a fearful thing to fall under the judgment of God. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, he knew that they were going to come up against some very difficult things if they were to follow him. Persecution, false accusations. Um, There would probably often be a temptation to alter their message in order to please those who had power over them. And Jesus said, don't fear those who can just uh, take away your life but fear those who can destroy both body and soul. Fear the one who has that power, the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, passage that talks about how God has called us as His ambassadors. It is this fear of the Lord that is underlying us being compelled to share the Gospel as God's ambassadors to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. The Apostle Paul says this, uh, if I can find it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And he goes he goes on to talk about this gift we've been given from God and how we are now have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation that is making sinful people right with their holy creator and judge. And it is the fear of God underlying that that compels us to, to follow through with that in our life. There's a, uh, a very popular sermon that I hope you'll actually look up. It's... Uh, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I was actually just reading through it this morning as I was preparing um, to, to give the message here. And, and, uh, and as I was going through it, I just kept circling and underlining and circling and underlining. And the, my first thought was, I think I might stick some of this in there to share it with you. And then I realized I'd have to stick the whole thing in there. And then you'd be totally uninterested to hear what I had to say. And you'd just want to hear from Jonathan Edwards, which is probably a good call anyways. So I would encourage you to look up Jonathan Edwards, 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. And uh, to kind of summarize um, some of what he says, although it won't do quite justice to it, uh, it's just so well laid out. Um, God's patience is the only thing right now that separates sinful people from God's judgment, from hell. It is God's, the thin strand, uh, though, though strong enough at the moment, God's patience is the thing that keeps us from being utterly uh, destroyed and, and uh, from suffering the full weight of His wrath against our sin. But Scripture's promise to us is that God is patient because He desires everyone to come to repentance and faith in Him so that we would all receive His salvation through Jesus Christ and receive life in Him. And that has been made available to every single one of us who say, Jesus, come into my life and God, forgive me of my sins and teach me to walk in Your ways because I am terrified of Your judgment and I, my heart longs to know You Both of those things exist at the same time within us. Terrified of His judgment and yet a longing to know Him. And that can happen through Jesus Christ. And so for those of you who have received Christ by faith, rest in the knowledge that God accepts you fully, not on the basis of your righteousness, but on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And also for those of you who have not accepted Christ as your Lord, know that God made a way for you to escape His wrath, His judgment. He made a way for you to escape hell by receiving Christ as your Lord and your Savior. To embrace Him today and cling tightly to Him. When we understand what God is saving us from and what Christ has done for us at the cross, there is nothing we will not be willing to part with. Um, This is coming out so weird, I don't even know how. We won't let go of Christ for anything. That's the way I want to say it. There is nothing that can pry our hands off of Christ because He is our salvation. And nothing else compares. Lord Jesus, we thank You for all that You have done for us. God, You are so magnificent and holy and righteous and just, and we are so undeserving of You, of the presence that You have promised to us, of Your faithfulness toward us, of Your love, of Your grace, of your mercy. Lord, we are completely undeserving that you would give your Son to take our place of receiving your judgment on the cross. But we praise you and thank you that you would do that for us to save us because you love us, because you want us to draw near to you, you want us to walk in the fullness of the life that you've created us to have, you want us to spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray for those today who perhaps are on the brink of making that decision to give you the full control of their life. 
to ask you to be their Savior and Lord from here through the rest of their days. Lord, I ask that you would help them to have the courage to make that step and that you would give them the understanding that, Lord, what you have given to them, they will, they will find nothing else that even compares in all, of, in all the earth to the salvation and life that you've offered them through Christ. And for the rest of us, that we would stand firmly on the knowledge that the one who created us and the one who would judge our sin also sent his son to die in our place, that we would have life eternal. That we would draw confidence from that, that we would be motivated by that with every decision that we make. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. remain seated for a moment. I'm going to take a little liberty here, Todd.
I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Lord, bless and keep you and help you to walk in his ways, to walk in the fear of the Lord. Amen.